Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill. God, Matt, I cannot speak. I'm joined today by Matt Filipovitz. Matt, what's happening? We're off to to a great start. We are off to a rollicking start. Uh, I'm going to credit uh, me driving headfirst into a wall to the fact that it's been a whirlwind of a couple of days in the Penn State universe. We learned Penn State's bowl uh, situation. We've learned some draft things that have come through. But, of course, the big news over the last couple of days is that Penn State offensive coordinator Ricky Ronnie leaving Penn State uh, to go to Old Dominion to take over as their head coach. A uh, move that kind of came out of left field. He was rumored as a potential target one day. Next thing you know, he's... Uh, you know, he's agreeing to a deal to take over for the Monarchs. Uh, Matt, I, I like, I, I kind of want to just open this up to a pretty general conversation about Ronnie, uh, both about him leaving, our thoughts on him as a coordinator, him taking this job, all this sort of thing. So you're sitting on your computer, you're having a lovely Monday or whatever it is, and suddenly the report comes across the Twitterverse that says, Ricky Ronnie is in contention to get the job at Old Dominion. Were you like me? Did you basically think, uh, you know, I'm sure he's just, they interviewed him or something, but there's no way he is actually leaving to take a job at Old Dominion? I think we saw these reports start to start to come in a little bit before that. And I always, I always, I'm always curious. So I like to read in and I know he interviewed for it uh, over the weekend. So I wasn't too surprised. It wasn't like it absolutely shocked me, but I, was surprised that he went for the job in the first place. This is a guy who's been really outspoken about really just wanting to be an offensive coordinator. So as recently as probably the past four months. Uh, So for him to come out and then take an FBS coaching job, not even something lower level, uh, so close to saying that really kind of surprised me. But after the reports came in and it became known that he got the job, I wasn't surprised. He's a very smart guy, young, uh, a, a guy you can build a program around. Yeah, I went back to uh, to find out what you were speaking there, and on uh, July 12th, 2019, uh, Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic tweeted out a story that she did in which, uh, you know, read the, here, here's the tweet directly, spent some time with a coaching quote-unquote unicorn, Penn State OC Ricky Ronnie, the rare rising star in the profession who doesn't have head coaching aspirations, and I think, like, I would probably say that is where Basically, all the surprise comes from um, the Ricky Ronnie wanting to be an offensive coordinator and not a head coach thing is something that's been out for God. I don't, basically, since he got, since he, yeah, he got since, promoted since his promotion. I mean, James Franklin basically said, like, this is a guy who th- this is what he wants to do. He wants to uh, be in charge of Penn State's offense. Uh, he wants to call plays on an offense, build an offense, that sort of thing. Uh, there was actually a very good uh, exit interview published by uh, Audrey Snyder of The Athletic today that included some stuff with Ronnie where he said, uh, I started to change a little bit over the summer at the end of last year. Part of it was because I started to reflect on all the lessons I learned from Coach Franklin, uh, from Bill Snyder. I was looking for a new challenge. I feel felt reinvigorated and it's been energizing a number of different fronts. And then he had a quote about how uh, he and his family, every year they do a tour of Major League Baseball stadiums. Uh, and while he's on those drives, his kids are listening to music. His wife's uh, taking a nap or reading a book or something like that. And he just thinks and reflects. And he says that last year he started kind of formulating the thoughts in his head of, 
you know what, maybe there's an opportunity for me out there uh, that could materialize and I could take this next step in my career. And like, it's not like this is unusual. Like, you expect your coordinator, like, I'm sure James Franklin has thought that Brent Pry's been out the door on a couple of occasions, or at least he's been getting close to going out the door on a couple of occasions. But like, yeah, I'll be honest, I'm shocked Pry's still here. Yeah, like, you expect your coordinators to leave for jobs. When you're from a school like Penn State, you're a feeder system. Your position coaches go leave for coordinator jobs. Your coordinators leave for head coaching jobs. And Ricky Ronnie is the latest in this one. Uh, I think he's an interesting and kind of hard guy to eulogize, Matt. Um, I'll dive into that in a second, but I want to hear your thoughts. Like, When you think about Ricky Ronnie and what he did in his two years in charge of the quarter. Uh, Two years in charge of the offense at Penn State, he had spent some time as a uh, quarterback's coach, of course. What kind of thoughts go through your mind uh, just as you're looking back on the last couple of years after he took over for Joe Moorhead? His offenses were fine. Penn State won, was it 19 games in the past two years? That's a lot of games. And I think he gets a lot of hate he doesn't deserve. He was you know, a 37, 38-year-old, 39-year-old play caller in his first experience, and he led Penn State to pretty close to back-to-back double-digit win seasons. He was pretty good. But with that being said, all around college football, we're seeing these fantastic young offensive minds who there's never a doubt that that's the guy you want calling plays for your team. And if Penn State's going to get to that level, that's what they need. I think Ronnie could have gotten to that level, uh, I, I just don't think it would have been in a time frame a lot of fans were comfortable with. So I, I'm thrilled for the guy. He seems like a really nice guy. I've always liked talking to him. Any chance I got to do that. Um, but I, he got a lot of hate undeservedly. But I think it, it, it's a really beneficial move for both parties. Because now James Franklin can pitch to whatever offensive coordinator comes in next or whoever's interviewing for it that, look, my past two have gotten head coaching jobs. One's in the SEC. And one's not even a 40. Uh, that, that's a huge thing for him to pitch for guys going forward. So I think it's a really great time for Ronnie and Penn State to split ways. Uh, he didn't deserve the hate he got. He was better than fine. He was pretty good. But if Penn State's going to take that next step, I think they need somebody else who's able to do it more immediately. So it, this was something that like I had been kicking this thought around in my head and I thought, oh, you know, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm kind of crazy for going to this point. And then I, I had like a friend who I tend to trust on these things. He tweeted this thought out and I went, okay, maybe there's something to this. But I think back to the Ohio state game last year, which Ronnie, I would argue his tenure gets judged on basically two games. Um, or the negative aspects of his tenure basically get judged on two games. One is the Ohio State game last year. Uh, fourth and five, Trace McSorley's in the midst of the game of his life. He decides to run it right at Chase Young. Chase Young blows that play up. And then the Minnesota game this year, uh, Penn State gains, I want to say it was something somewhere in the vicinity of 400, 450 yards of total offense. Uh, it was... Oh, it was 518 yards of total offense. Apologies. Eight for 16 on third down, but they couldn't punch the ball into the end zone. And that, that, that second one is so unfair. And that was 
I wrote about that a couple uh, back when that loss happened. That was all in the past defense. Yeah, that offense, the offense was fine that game. That it, for people to hold anything about that game against Ronnie and Sean Clifford to a lesser extent is ridiculous. Well, I, I mean, I get it. Like when you get into the red zone, you need to score touchdowns. And yeah, no, there was is, I, the red zone play calling was bad, but right. by at large, that was a that was a winnable game calling performance. Right. The the refs call two pass interferences that they don't call and Sean Clifford gets picked off. They don't call a terrible pick play call against Dan George. Uh, Jahan Dotson doesn't get turf on. Like all these things all come together and it's a different story. I, I still get holding that one against him a little bit because it, it was a, a lot of yards and not enough points. And I think that's something that's going to, uh, yeah, that's something that haunts a fan base, but you basically judge him on those two games there are other losses in there. There was the loss to Michigan State last year. There was the loss to Michigan last year. There was the bowl loss last year. Uh, there was the loss to Ohio State this year. All of them had things that I think you can hold against him, but those are the two that really stick out. And the thought to get back to that was that after that Ohio State game last year, James Franklin went behind a podium and said, right, we've made the jump from fine to good to great and now we need to make the jump from great to whatever it was. Like, I'm paraphrasing that, but we, we all remember that. And when I think of Ricky Ronnie, I think that he probably is a great offensive coordinator. And if Penn State was in a position where it could win games that way, I think they, you know, ride with him off to the sunset. It absolutely says something about him that after he got the job, Mike Kosicki hopped onto Twitter. Uh, Sean Clifford, Trace McSorley, Will Lett, all these guys get out. Steven Gonzalez, who didn't even coach him. Steven uh, Gonzalez. All, all the guys you mentioned were guys that he was a direct position coach with at some point or another. So right. Gonzalez yeah. tweeting that makes you say, uh, it just shows how much respect he had from the offense as a whole. Right, and we uh, we, we the, this one kind of gets lost to history, but we may remember that after Joe Moorhead took the Mississippi state job, probably the most unhappy person about it was trace McSorley until they kind of cleared the air with one. another. like he retweeted something. I, I want to say it was a tweet by two attack of Tyloa where he was not happy that Moorhead left. So there's all these things that talk that say the kind of guy that Ronnie is, uh, we could point to the number of points Penn state has scored over the last few years, all that stuff. But Penn state wants to be among college football's elite. And I get and I agree with you completely, Matt, that uh, he took over at a young age, all this stuff. But Penn State didn't really have the time for Ricky Ronnie to get his, to become fully formed as an offensive coordinator. I think he was getting really, really close to that. But Penn State needs to compete for a national title. If Penn, We're going to talk about draft stuff in a little bit. Penn State's going to be competing for a national title next year, and they need to be able to have elite coaches on both sides of the football. And I think you can make the case that Ricky Ronnie is a great coach who just needed a little bit more seasoning, and the timetable was just a little bit off with what Penn State needs. Do you think that's a fair thing to say? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I'll go back to the earlier thing I, I harped on, is that the fact that James Lincoln can say, my last two OCs after two years here got head coaching jobs, if you go out and you get that elite young play caller, if Penn State makes the kind of run we think they can make next year, whoever the OC is is going to be a head coach at a, at a pretty good job. So again, I think it's great that this is the way they were able to part ways. Um, again, if I, I wish we would have had more time to see what Ronnie could have turned into, but I'm excited to see where 
they go from here. Right. He ended up going, he got a pretty good spot. Like, I thought maybe Colorado State takes a look at him since he's from that area, but Old Dominion, that's a really, it, for what you expect Old Dominion to be, that's a pretty good job. Uh, they care about their football program down there. It's a program that Penn State has some ties with. I, in the uh, piece by The Athletic, I alluded to uh, just a f- James Fr- Franklin really got praised a lot for his role in the process that led to Ricky Ronnie taking over down there. Uh, the one thing that I will say, and I want to get your thoughts on this, Matt, is that uh, I, like I don't think he Ronnie was one of those guys that every fa- everyone in the fan base just really had it out for. Like the great John Donovan war of 2015 was John Donovan versus every Penn state fan. Uh, I think with Ronnie, it's, I don't think it's quite as, uh, I think there are some people who think he can't get the job done, but I don't think there's anyone who straight up thinks this guy can never get the job done, which is a sentiment that I kind of think existed with Donovan among the fan base. The one thing that I will say is that, Losing an offensive coordinator can be very, very, very tricky because Penn State didn't have, you you know, it had a bit of a drop between the 2017 and 2018 year. Uh, And we'll talk about that quote unquote search in a second. But Penn State was keeping basically the same stuff around. It wasn't trying to implement too many new things because it had Trace McSorley. It just did not have to change up everything it was doing with a an experienced quarterback in there. And when I look at Penn State's schedule next year, I think, and I could be wrong about this, if they decide to go in too radically of a different direction, which I don't think James Franklin will do, but I imagine that he's going to give whomever he hires the flexibility to do their own things. Fullback. I, I, I don't know if I'll go fullback, but that's but so, some source of changes. September 12th, they got to go to Blacksburg. October new, 3rd. New, new defensive coordinator in Blacksburg. New defensive coordinator in Blacksburg, yes, but that's still no. a road, probably night game, and one of the toughest places to play in college football against a team that ended the year pretty well. October 3rd, they have to go to Michigan. Then they get Ohio. Then they get a bye week: Iowa, Ohio State at Indiana before they get into a very manageable month of November. Because I'm going to hate on Nebraska again, and that's their big game that part of the year. Penn State's first couple of months, if their new offensive coordinator comes in and there's a big old learning curve for them, and they're not able to implement and get a feel for play calling and all that stuff quickly, it's not that I think everyone is suddenly going to go, oh, wow, obviously we missed Ricky Ronnie. It's more that it's going to be, oh, getting this, reinventing the wheel to whatever extent they reinvent it has the potential to backfire. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think, so basically what you're trying to say is if the new comes in and struggles a little bit, we're going to go back and look at the Ronnie years as better than... We're going to miss his familiarity. I, th- I think that's fair. I think I think they're going to go out there, and I think, like we like we said, with how high we think this team's ceiling is, I think they're going to get somebody with play calling experience. But in the event that they don't, and the guy does struggle, I think we're really going to look back on the Ronnie years because, like you said, th- this was ten times better than anything we saw with John Donovan. Um, so I, I, I do think we're going to look back and say, all right, yeah, Ronnie Ronnie really did do a pretty good job, and people really held it 
against him for no reason. Yeah, I, I, you know, the 2018 season ended up becoming a little bit weird, especially after that Iowa game where, it, you know, Trace McSorley seemed like he was playing on one leg uh, to whatever extent that was true or not. I'm not 100% certain, but he just didn't look right at that point. Uh, then this year, breaking in Sean Clifford, had his good games, had his bad games, basically being asked to do something he's never really had to do before in game action. You saw him struggle with that. Like, it, it, it was a bit tough, but, you know, I, I, I think that you and I agree Penn State's going to have one hell of a uh, pitched potential offensive coordinators. Um, the offensive coordinator search is underway. James Franklin has... Made no secret about the fact that he has a big old Rolodex with names in them of guys that he would consider potential offensive coordinators uh, or potential coaches at basically every position, every role, in the event that he were to lose someone. Uh, so far, Do you think a- it's a notebook or a spreadsheet that he has to Excel. keep him in? Excel. I hope it's a notebook. I hope it's a notebook, too, but it, it seems like it's just easier to document all that in Excel. Uh, but... We, he hasn't lost anyone else. He's just looking for an offensive coordinator. No idea if he's going to sit, bring in an offensive coordinator, and that guy's going to want to make some tweaks to things. Uh, Lord knows what he's going to do. But, Matt, when we look around the offensive... Well, first off, kind of just go back to that last question. Do you think that an P- Penn State should basically do what it did when it promoted Ricky Ronnie, which is say, we want our system to be this... Uh, we want a guy who can fit within that system and we don't want to have to do too terribly much because we have a quarterback who knows what he is doing in this system. We have players who know what they're doing in that system. Or do you think it's worth going out and really casting a very wide net and saying, we're going to bring you on board and we are going to give you the flexibility to do basically what you want to do? I think no matter who it is, they're going to run a spread or some element of the spread. So no matter who you get, they're really not going to have to change too much of what the Penn State offense already is. But that's a big benefit to how Penn State recruits is that they don't recruit to a system. They've just recruited athletes and good football players. So I think whoever they do bring in, they they are going to want to mix up a little bit because if you get somebody who runs a pretty similar system, then there, there was really no point of all this hate Ronnie was getting and letting him walk, um, especially now with the new contract restructured for Franklin. I'm sure he had money to potentially pitch at Ricky Ronnie if he were to want to stay. So I do think they're going to try to find somebody who keeps the general concepts the same, but somebody who really is going to have his own offense that looks a little bit, if not pretty noticeably different than what we've had the past couple of years. Yeah, there was a it was a text that, for, that Bruce Feldman of the a lot of hat tipping to the athletic in this one. Uh, Bruce yeah, Feldman, Audrey Snyder's piece was great. Audrey, Audrey's piece was, was great. great. Definitely read that. Yeah, I, I will. Uh, well, I'll make a note to signal boost that somewhere, but that was great. Uh, Nicole Auerbach, she did something we had to know. Bruce Feldman, uh, verbatim, a tweet from earlier in the day on Wednesday, text from one NFL assistant coach on the hire, former Penn State OC Ricky Ronnie by ODU. Best guy to watch for RPOs in the entire country. Even run some PROs too, which haven't caught on yet, but are dirty. Uh, I think that's really interesting. Uh, I think it shows that you know, Ronnie was a very guy, very special guy conceptually. He did a good job learning from Joe Moorhead. I, the last coaching search, I we're gonna talk about how weird it was in one specific way in a second, but it was weird in that it was just so obvious. You're not having Trace McSorley come in and 
redo, you know, and do something completely different. I, I think Sean Clifford gives Ronnie or gives whomever the next offensive coordinator is a little bit more flexibility to toss some different stuff in there. Uh, but like Matt said, it, it just seems like it'd be very unwise for him to go away from the spread, uh, go away with what's working, go away from the concepts of, you know, get your athletes in space, let them make, do stuff, blah, 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 blah. Matt, you mentioned money and how James Franklin, we... He has some. Right. We all assume he has the cash uh, to be able to go out and make a really, really good hire here. Obviously, that means one name is going to come up. Uh, former Penn State graduate assistant, current uh, LSU passing games coordinator and, and uh, wide receivers coach and Broyles Award winner, Joe Brady. That's the name that I think every Penn State fan wants to hear. Uh, I think it, so, do, so does everybody else in college football hiring for offensive coordinators. Yes. Uh, I think that's a pipe dream. Um, I think that the concept of getting Joe Brady, uh, who, you know, I, he, he and Sean Clifford know each other. He knows Penn State, all that stuff. If James Franklin can pull that off, that is the biggest recruiting win that he's ever gotten. I don't think he's going I agree. to like, – it doesn't seem like he can pull that off with LSU willing to pay him whatever it needs to pay him. Um, Texas apparently wants to get on him. All this stuff. Uh, so are you with me that Penn State fans might need to temper their expectations a bit if they're going, we need to get Joe Brady in, uh, in Happy Valley? I think if they're in the mindset that it's Brady or bust, they need to uh, reevaluate. But I don't think it's super unrealistic to think that they have a shot at Brady. I know I, I literally just said 10 minutes ago they're probably going to get a guy with play calling experience, and Brady isn't that. But Brady's the exception to that rule because he has proven to be so supremely talented from taking Joe Burrow, who was remarkably average two seasons ago, to looking like the best quarterback to ever walk the SEC conference this year. So I, I, I think he's such a hot name that I think there's Franklin's absolutely going to be in contact with him. And that familiarity, I think both with the staff, with the organization, with Sean Clifford, is going to be very appealing to him. So I don't think it's as far-fetched as some people would think. But if you're in the mindset as it's Brady or Bust, you probably have to probably have to reevaluate some things. Yeah, I mean, if you're uh, if you're banking on the fact that like. Joe Brady has apparent like tweeted about Sean Clifford once, and you know, uh, maybe maybe Joe Brady likes Sharkies or something. I don't know. Like, if you're banking on that stuff, you're. Probably... What do you think Joe Brady's favorite bar in State College was? Well, well now I'm hoping it's Sharkies. Um, he was <laughs> he was a younger guy, so I will say pickles. Oh, that's a good guess. I was gonna say saloon. Uh, no, I I don't think football coaches. I don't think anyone like with any sort of reputation at Penn State should go to Saloon. Like, that oh. should absolutely be a place for... For me, that's the gaff. For <laughs> that, too. Uh, that should be a place for youngsters. But, yeah, he... Uh, m- m- maybe James Franklin says, hey, listen, I know how much you love corner room food, and guess what? They happen to have that at Pickles, so we'll, uh, we will bring you there and you can get <laughs> whatever you want. But, yeah, uh, it says a lot that LSU is willing to pay whatever it needs to keep him around. Te- other schools are willing to get in to try and poach him away. And... He's never called plays before, so I like. I think he would be. He's number one on the list. I think it's going to. He's going to get crossed off pretty quickly. Go ahead. Can I give Penn State's advantage? I think over LSU and Texas, which I think a lot of people think are Brady's two most most likely landing spots. Yeah, of course. I think their biggest advantage over LSU is he wouldn't be the offensive coordinator at LSU unless their guy retires. Correct. 
So and he's not going I mean, to. Yeah, he's not going to. So the fact the, the title I think means a lot for somebody that young, and I'm assuming with that high career aspirations. And at Texas, Franklin didn't go seven and five this year with a down year. A down year for James Franklin was nine and three and ten and two, which is very appealing. And also the pickaxe picture. If you don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> uh, there's a pickaxe picture from the Big Ten title game in 2016 uh, with Joe Moorhead and all the quarterbacks, and Joe Moorhead's holding a pickaxe and Joe Brady's in it. And mm-hmm. if I was James Franklin, I'd just send him that picture without any any other words, and then he signs a five-year deal to be Penn State's offensive coordinator. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, But ser- I, seriously, I do think those are two huge advantages Penn State has over those two schools. Oh, yeah. How much that gets weighed into it, um, I don't know. But I, I do think Penn State has a shot. I don't think it's a big shot, but I think they're, I think they're definitely in the in the conversation. And I will say this: the longer we go without hearing anybody getting the job, I think the better the odds are of it being Brady, because I'm assuming they're going to want to fill the role before signing day. Here is in like what nine days, something like that. It's something so like soon. That. Um, but Joe Brady's not going to sign the deal before LSU gets knocked out of the playoff or wins the national championship. So the longer we go without hearing anything, I think the better the odds are that Joe Brady's the guy. Because if Franklin thinks Joe Brady isn't the guy, he wouldn't wait around until after signing day. Yeah, I think that. I think that all makes sense. And then the other guy who I wanted to bring up, uh, not because I think it's going to be him, just because he always seems to get mentioned uh, when this kind of stuff happens, is Mike Yurcich, uh, current quarterbacks coach and passing game coordinator at Ohio State. Uh, from Ohio, originally went to Cal University of Pennsylvania, uh, coached in uh, Pennsylvania. He coached at Edinburgh for a bit, coached at Shippensburg as their offensive coordinator for 2011 and 2012 before making the jump to Oklahoma State, coached guys uh, like Mason Rudolph, a uh, few other dudes who line up under center there. And then this year, uh, went to Ohio State, was their passing game coordinator, and was the quarterback coach responsible for coaching Justin Fields. I think he's a guy who is going to get mentioned by Penn State fans, if only because always get he always gets mentioned when Penn State has an opening. Uh, but I like I just can't see uh, him. I, I can't see a guy considering where Penn State and Ohio State are right now, and not, not necessarily n- judging the two programs in their where they are high in the hierarchy of college football, just like how they are, they are the two teams that decide the big tennis. I like, it just seems weird that a guy would make that jump. Like the only guy who I can think of that's made that jump was, was Larry Johnson. That was because he didn't have a job. So like, I can't see him getting it, Matt. Like, is there anyone else that any other external options that you think that it's good to enter into the dialogue here? I'll, I'll touch on your sitch real quick. Um, he is not the offensive coordinator. He is the passing game coordinator and quarterbacks mm-hmm. coach at Ohio State. I think that's an important distinction. Um, I, I saw Kevin Wilson's name get floated out there for a couple of different head coaching. Nope. Games, nope. Yeah. Nope. Got reeled back. Extreme nope there. Nope. Yeah. So he's still going to be there. So again, it comes down to what title do you want? So I think if, if Penn State can reach out and snatch that guy, because Kevin Wilson's not going anywhere. So that, that could be a very appealing appealing thing and again Ohio State could lose what is it 20 of 22 starters so he can look around and he can see the writing on the wall for what we think next season could be and he could come over to Penn State for a year and then again make that jump to a to a head coach somewhere yeah so I I do think there's a chance there again just from the he has a better title at Penn State gets to stay in the same conference and is going to have pretty comparable talent yeah and uh I believe Ryan Day actually calls plays at a 
at Ohio State. So that's a and that's what something. Kevin Wilson do? Uh, Kevin Wilson, I think I think he's in charge of run the. He's the running game coordinator. I'm not 100 percent certain there, but uh, he's the offensive type. Jack has a lot of snacks in it. <laughs> snacks for the staff. Yeah, I mean, he's a. Uh, let me put it this way: I really hope it's not Kevin Wilson. Um, the thing that I think it's important to remember, uh, first of all, internal options. I can't like. It basically comes down to whether or not you think uh, Matt Limegrover would be willing to be an offensive coordinator again, which he has said. Part of the reason I was happy to things didn't work out in Minnesota was because I did not like being a play caller. And then I think Tyler Bowen called plays at Fordham or something, but I, I just can't imagine James Franklin would go internal. On this. I, he has to go externally. No, he's got to go. Yeah. Those two guys just don't inspire the kind of confidence that I think you want to see. Um, especially with how big we think the 2021 recruiting class could be. I think there's a lot of elements as a whole that are going to, are going to steal guys away. Uh, I don't think Lamb Grover is ever, ever going to get back in play calling. Bowen will eventually, but He's only, what is he, 30? He's he's not ready for that yet. Yeah, he's real young. Yeah. So the last thing that I wanted to mention here, like, I don't think we're really in a position where we could throw out names we think are going to get the job. Uh, if you would like some insight, uh, a shout-out to Sean Fitz of 24-7, who's mentioned a few names who have kind of popped up as potential guys to keep an eye on. He, Sean's done a better job of that than anybody, I would say. So... You, you should absolutely subscribe to 24-7 anyway, So, but if you need another reason to, Sean's been doing that. Uh, the last thing I will say here, and then Matt, I'll let you kind of tie a bonus if you want to, is the Joe Mo- Moorhead search was the last time James Franklin had to go out and find an offensive coordinator because of what happened with Ronnie. I think it's worth remembering that in that one, there were really no names. Like, it was basically just kind of, there was nothing, really. There were no real close contenders there was nothing to really suggest that joe james franklin was going to turn to a productive fcs head coach and i think that's an important thing to keep in mind that if there's one thing that i do trust james franklin on with this one is that he is going to cast a very 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 wide net until he finds the guy who is the best fit for penn state like he did with joe moorhead I don't think he's going to try and limit himself to too terribly much. It is going to be the best person I can find nationally. And if they are willing to come on board, we're going to go out and get them. Yeah, I agree. And Penn State, uh, out of the 2019 season, looks like a lot better job for an offensive coordinator than Penn State coming out of the Mm -hmm. 2015 season. Um, So I think he's going to pull all the stops. I think a lot of people are are going to want the job, more people than wanted it back in 2016. And Franklin now has a restructured contract. He has that stability. He has a way, way more talented players. Uh, I think he's going to go all in. Because, again, we all think 2020 could be the year where they make a legitimate run at, at a really, really special season. So to be able to put that out there, that it's a chance for them to showcase a young coach uh, in, in that environment, uh, I think it's going to be he's going to go. He's going to pull it on the stops. He'll he'll if the guy's in Alaska, if he thinks is the best guy, he'll go to Alaska to get him. I am inclined to agree with all of that. Uh, Ronnie won't be on the sideline for Penn State's bowl game, as we learned earlier this week. Uh, Penn State, unfortunately, not going to go to the Rose Bowl. Looks like uh, Wisconsin was able to do enough to convince the Rose Bowl that they should be the Big Ten's representatives out there with Ohio, Ohio State, State in the playoff. Ohio State it over against them. Yep, yep. And that is... Uh, that means Penn State's going to be going to the Cotton Bowl, taking on a 
Very good Memphis team, one that has caught up in a little bit of turmoil right now. Head coach Mike Norvell has left to take the Florida State job, uh, and it was reported a little earlier today by Adam Brittenberg of ESPN that Adam Fuller, their defensive coordinator, is also going to be going down to Tallahassee taking the defensive coordinator job on Norville's staff right there. Uh, the thing is, Memphis is still a really good football team. 12-1, they won the AAC uh, 13th nationally in SP+, number 8 in SP+, offense, 35 in defense, 3 on special teams. Uh, they have a few wins against some big name. I don't want to say big name, but names that kind of jump off the page. Uh, they took down Ole Miss at the beginning of the year. Uh, wins over Navy, uh, an SMU team that was ranked 15th, and then back-to-back wins at the end of the season against Cincinnati. Uh, Matt, we won't go too terribly in depth on the bowl game right now. Uh, we'll do a special pod for that. So just your initial thoughts. Uh, how, how bummed were you when you heard that Penn State's going to the Cotton Bowl and not the Rose Bowl? Uh, I think like, like a lot of people, I was kind of bummed. Uh, the Rose Bowl is just so prestigious. It's perfect. It's perfect. prehistoric. Were you there for it the is also, uh, USC game? It is also game? prehistoric. I was not sad. Ooh. I was very I was very sad I was not able to go. Were, uh, have you ever been to the Rose Bowl? I have never been to the Rose Bowl, but Ooh. I have been to Rutgers Stadium, so I heard it's similar. <laughs> so, and I've never, I've actually, I went there for their graduation one year. Oh, um, about, my first football game was a Rutgers game. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, crazy, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, I like a lot of people. I was I was a little upset, um, but then I kind of thought about the big picture, and it's really cool for Penn State to be able to go to half of the New Year's Six games in the past four years, uh, just from you know both a national perspective to be able to play in front of people from all over the country. I mean, you got Arizona, you got California, and now you got Texas in a place where Penn State's trying to establish a recruiting footprint to get Texas's premier bowl game. I think it's something that's really fun and exciting. Um, the matchup isn't great. Uh, you hate to see Mike Norvell leave because you'd like to see a team like Memphis get their best shot at a team like Penn State. But this is also the kind of bowl game where Penn State doesn't really have a lot to gain but has a lot to lose. Yep. You're supposed to beat Memphis, and if you lose, you're like, wow, yikes, lost to Memphis, um, which it can be killer for a program heading into an offseason. Um, so you hate to see it, but from the looks of it, Barry Alvarez is probably going to call plays. That, that's a joke. He was in Wisconsin all the time. Uh, neither here nor there. Uh, I was bummed, but then thinking about what it means nationally to go to their third New Year's Six game and their third different one is super exciting. And also, the Rose Bowl is a playoff game next year, so you would hate to uh, you would hate to get too spoiled and go to go to back to back ones. Very so, good. I, I'm very excited to go to the Cotton Bowl. I won't be going, but I'm excited to watch it. It should be it should be a fun one. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna be uh, I don't think I'm gonna be going to that one either. Uh, Echo all of Matt's sentiments. I was very, very bummed out by Penn State not making uh, the Rose Bowl. It really is like so. Y'all know that I cover a professional sport for a living. Um, it's very easy to get cynical about sports when you are that close to it. So when everyone is saying, "Oh, it's the Rose Bowl, it's great, it's this, it's that," blah blah blah, I'm like, "Okay, fine, guys, whatever." And then you get there, and it is perfect. Like, it is the perfect football-watching experience. There is nothing like watching a football game at the Rose Bowl while the sun is going down. Uh, so I am bummed about that. Hopefully Penn State's able to make it next year. Uh, Clearly you've never sat in the Beaver Stadium press box. Uh, I have. 
I know. I am going to tell you a story after this. Oh, um, I am excited. But yeah, uh, going down to Jerry World should be a really cool experience for the team. Uh, if all of you fans, if any of you are going to be going down, please, please have a great time. Again, we'll, we're going to do a full episode a little bit later. We'll say that I think Memphis is one hell of a football team. I'm to, you know, echoing Matt's sentiment about Penn State, uh, you beat the team you should beat versus, oh, God, you lost to the group of five team, blah, 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 blah. That all exists. Uh, having said that, th- really good team. Brady White is a fun, fun football player. He loves pushing the ball down the field. He has some explosive options on the outside. Uh, Demonte Coxie, Antonio Gibson, two very, very good wide uh, Three very good wide receivers uh, if you want to – Count Kadarian Jones in there. Their running back, Kenneth Gainwell, is a monster. He had 532 uh, reception yards for three touchdowns, along with 1,425 yards on the ground and 12 scores. They're going to give Penn State fits. I think that not having, well, not having Norvell might end up hurting them. I think they're going to be galvanized kind of behind that. Uh, And they're going to give Penn State their best shot. And I think they're a team that's going to attack Penn State's weakness. They're going to try and throw the football against the secondary and really spin it. Uh, I, Penn State's going to have to be ready for that, and they're going to have to be ready for a fight because this Memphis team is not going to back down. To them, the good news is that it seems like Penn State's going to have its entire roster of players, even though there are a collection of dudes who decided have made up their draft decisions. We're still waiting on a few we're going to talk about then in the second First one right off the jump, uh, Yitor Gross Matos. We all knew he was going to leave. He's going to end up leaving. I can't say that I'm surprised, Matt. I, I think he's going to have a really good NFL career, and I'm going to miss watching him, especially on his games where he was just unblockable. Having said that, I think that if Penn State could afford to lose a guy anywhere on its defense, it was going to be defensive end, and they have the dudes waiting in the wings to step in and replace one hell of a football player. Yeah, good for good for YGM. He's going to make a lot of money. He's going to be a first-round pick. And as a true true junior, that's all you can ask for. So did a lot of really great stuff. Great for him. Happy he's playing in the bowl game. Um, hopefully Penn State can dominate the line of scrimmage and he's able to uh, he's able to kind of coast into a professional career. Um, yeah. But yeah. again, they are really well set up with who they have coming back. And I think Next season, Jason Owe is going to be a name everybody knows, and I am excited to watch him just bully people. Um, yeah, they're they're pretty well set off at defensive end uh, with the young guys they have, with the experience they have. Um, good for Etor; it'd be great to have him back. But I think everybody kind of knew this was coming. Yeah, he if he leaves, they still have uh, Shane Simmons. They still have Jason Owe. They still have a few young dudes who uh, produce Adisa Isaac. I think everyone is kind of. Circling is a dude who is the yeah. Adis Isaac, I think, is on the Etor track. Yeah, he might. I, I don't know if that's a ceiling, but uh, a young guy who kind of worked himself into a role unexpectedly as a true freshman, who I think could have a really a really good breakout year going forward. So, I, I mean, I exciting times. Yeah, and we will uh, again. We're going to talk about who's left in a second, but Penn State's offense next year. Uh, we know that it's going to have three starters back. Uh, we'll start with the two on the offensive line. Uh, Michael Mennett, Will Fries, uh, Stephen Gonzalez. We know that he's out, but Penn State had two guys who were draft eligible. Well, they had a few guys who were draft eligible. I don't. I think we all would have been stunned if C.J. Thorpe decided to go to the NFL as a redshirt sophomore. But 
Will Fries, Michael Mennett coming back. The biggest thing that you can have with an offensive line is continuity. Matt, they're going to have that. Uh, Fries, you know, he's had his uh, high points. He's had his low points as a player. But you, I still think having him there is better than not having him. And then Mennett is quite possibly their best offensive lineman. Getting him back and getting the guy who can be the brain of that offensive line, you know, I think that's huge. And I think Penn State's going to really benefit from that. Yeah, I, I'm ready to absolutely just melt thinking about the offensive line next year. I'm pulling up the scholarship grid right now. Um, so I have I actually have it up in front of me. So oh, lovely. Left to right, it's going to be Rasheed Walker, and then someone filling in for Stephen Gonzalez. Probably Mike Miranda. He's probably, the one who plays there most most often. Probably Mike Miranda. Maybe Anthony. You know, I I don't know what Anthony Wigan or Juice Scruggs or whomever else. Uh, maybe Caden Wallace gets a look there. We'll see what happens there. But the fact that there's only one spot in the offensive line where that's a question because we know the other guys are going to be uh, Michael Mennett and then C.J. Thorpe or Mike Miranda figuring out what they're going to do there and then Will Fries. Again, you get you have continuity and you have talent along your offensive line. That's about as good a position you can be in. And Penn State's in a really good position uh, up front as it enters next year. Yeah, let me let me go through that. Um... So you mentioned the five starters, and then Anthony Wigan was the number one junior college offensive lineman coming out, and they got away with redshirting him, which is huge. I think if the game slows down for him, he's going to be a great guy to have in there. Des Holmes pretty much split time in a lot of games with Rasheed Walker. So that's a guy they have a lot of confidence in, so it's great to have him. Um, Drew Scruggs, uh, I think when he when he gets healthy, uh, hopefully he's able to get back to full strength after that, after that car accident he was in. He could be a really great guy. And then Caden Wallace was, was a green light at the start of the season before they kind of figured it wasn't really worth it for how much he was going to play. But if you're the kind of guy who can get on the field as a true freshman along the offensive line, you're pretty special. So now they have him. Uh, that, that's, was it nine guys I just mentioned, including the starters, who can go out there and can get the job done. That's, that's a luxury we haven't seen at Penn State this decade, I would argue. Uh, and I, I'm so thrilled for it. That's going to be so much fun to watch. And Good for Matt Limegrover for building that up, and good for James Franklin, and good for Sean Clifford and the running backs to be able to run behind that kind of talent. And, uh, and man, you, you hear that exciting? We haven't even gotten to the good thing yet. Uh, the really good thing yet, which is that Penn State uh, got those offensive linemen back and also gets an offensive lineman slash wide receiver back in Pat Fryermuth. Uh, that, to me, I think that them losing potentially losing KJ Hamler, that's going to hurt if that ends up happening, and Again, we're a moment away from that, but Sean Clifford is getting his safety blanket back, and I think that the tight ends behind him, I think Zach Kuntz, uh, what he brings as a pass catcher, Brenton Strange, what he brings as a pass catcher, and then Theo Johnson, what he could bring as a pass catcher, Penn State's going to have those options. But having that extra guy that they can put right on, right on the line, have him be that extra offensive lineman if they need him or have him be the most reliable receiving tight end that or reliable receiving option that uh, Sean Clifford has. That's huge. I would argue that keeping him, because he is draft eligible to site being a true sophomore, I think that keeping him is bigger than keeping or losing any other guy on the roster just because of how important he is to uh, Sean Clifford. Would you agree with that? Wow. Uh, I guess. I don't know. I never thought of it like that. I think Mennett's really important, but I, I do think there's a lot of talent behind Fryermuth, but there, there's no other Pat Fryermuth. So, yeah, I guess I would agree with that. Having, him back, is, having him back is huge. Yeah. He's going to be a first-round pick. He would have mm-hmm. 
he would have been a borderline first round pick now. And now I think he's going to clearly establish himself as the best tight end of the Big Ten, if not the country. Uh, and I, I'm I'm so excited to see what he does. This, this Penn State offense next year could be could be generationally generationally talented. It, so it, it's huge that Pat's back. That's mm-hmm. I oh, I think a lot of us always thought he was going to come back. I think he knew he wasn't ready to leave. I agree. Uh, and I, I'm thrilled he's back for another go around. It's going to be getting those guys at such key positions where you just have to be physically ready. Franklin always says the further away you are from the ball, the the more likely you are to play young, uh, the younger you are. So to have those guys back who just play in such physical positions and they're going to be another year older, another year stronger, another year more experienced, those three guys are all huge. Yeah, and the thing with Fryermuth is that while I'm a big fan of Koontz, I think Strange is a potentially really good player, and I think Johnson, I don't know what he ends up doing right away, but he's certainly talented. I mean, they're all guys who haven't really gotten the job done, who've never been asked to get the job done, and they're losing Nick Bowers, a guy who turned into a pretty reliable option. Uh, as the year went on. So getting Pat back just kind of ties that all together. It makes life easier on Sean Clifford. It makes life easier on the offensive line and the running game. It makes life easier on the receivers. It makes life easier on whomever the new offensive coordinator is because he has the best tight end in college football that he can just say, go be a go be the, uh, the guy that just stands in the middle of the defense, and if Sean needs some help, he's going to get it over to you. So I think that's really, really, really big. Uh, kind of the last two guys that are up, I mean, I have I didn't mark down, you know, Tariq Castro Fields can leave, Lamont Wade can leave. Uh just seems like it would be a bit surprising if they left I mean, same with like Journey Brown. Uh that, that that's basically it for dudes on the roster who could uh make the jump that I'd be stunned if they did. The last two that I come back to, uh one is Shaka Tony. Uh he like I don't know what to do what to think with him, like Wait, did he announce? Not to my knowledge. Not to okay. I didn't think so either. But Unless it I, like just happened in the past. Yeah, I, I, my brain has just been all over the place. So I thought maybe I might have missed that. But Shaka Tony, he's kind of the guy on the defense who I think is a bit of a coin flip. Right? Like we just haven't heard anything about him. And then on the offense, of course, it's KJ Hamler. Uh, we'll start with Tony. He, I wouldn't blame him if he left. Uh, if he comes back, I think that's unspeakably huge for Penn State's defense, but at the point he's at in his career, I don't think I can, you know, redshirt junior, he's going to be, I, I think redshirt seniors are something like 24 years old. I wouldn't blame him if he decided to make the jump right now. Yeah, me neither. Uh, I, I would be kind of surprised, um, but again, we just saw Kevin Givens do it last year, a guy who we all thought would have back, and I think Tony's more realistic to leave than Givens was, so I hope he comes back. I think he's leaning towards coming back, if I were to take a guess, uh, just from what I think uh, he could gain from coming back. But, you know, he's he's a, a speed rusher. He's a guy who really improved against the run. So I think he does have some pretty good NFL draft prospects, should he choose that route. Then the last guy, of course, K.J. Hamler. Uh, he currently is a redshirt sophomore. Again, no word on his decision which direction that he is going to be leaning in. I I think he should go. Uh, and it is basically because K.J. Hamler, despite being a guy who I think could still grow as a football player, he is listed at 5'9 and 176 pounds. And when you were 5'9 and 176 pounds, you were perpetually one hit away from your football career being over. And we've seen he struggled with some injuries. It just seems like he... Uh, 
it, it seems like him leaving is probably the smart idea. But if he came back, that completely changes Penn State's offense next year. So oh, self, yeah. selfishly, I wouldn't hate it if he came back. But I, I think the right thing for him might end up like, KJ, if you're listening to this, don't listen to me. Do what's right for you. And I think what's right for you is to go to the NFL. Yeah. Um, like you said, he's tiny. He is he is going to get hit. And it's a lot more fun to get hit and get paid money to do it than it is to do it for free. So I hope he comes back. I, I really do. But if I was in his shoes, I would probably go. It just come as a receiver and as a guy his size, shelf life in the NFL isn't down. And if you, he's proven he's good enough to compete, and he's going to be a pretty high draft pick. So I hope he comes back. I really do. But I, another part of me really wants him to go and get paid and make a lot of money in the NFL and be a kind of guy who, when when he James Franklin can show recruits and say that guy came to Penn State and we helped develop him and turn him into that because he's going to be a star in the NFL with how fun he is. Yeah, he uh, he's going to be a guy. You know, cameras are just going to gravitate towards him. The one thing that I will say is that uh, I think a good example for what KJ Hamler could afford to gain by coming back is I look at John Ross, uh, formerly of Washington, uh, ended up going to uh, the Cincinnati Bengals with the ninth pick in the first round of the draft. He had the fastest 40-yard dash time, uh, I believe, in NFL Combine history. So uh, I don't think KJ is going to be able to get to there because that's just freak of nature stuff. But John Ross was a... He suffered an injury that kept him out of his junior year. was a torn ACL injury KJ Hamler has had in the past. Uh, he was able to basically improve his stock by going from a potential big play guy to a guy who was a senior, had 81 catches for 1,150 yards, 17 touchdowns, ran the ball eight times and was a dynamic kick returner. I, I He was a little bit bigger than KJ. He was at 5'11", 108, but... That's really the one thing. I think if KJ were to come back... 180, 180. 180, 88, not 108. The the one thing that I think with KJ, if he were to come back and become a little bit uh, more well-rounded of receiver, and he's had, I don't want to say drop issues, but there have been times where he just hasn't quite been able to haul in balls that he should haul in. I think he really improved his draft stop. Maybe not go up to number nine in the first round, but go from wherever he would be now to a guy who improves it a little bit. But again... He should go. He should go get paid. He should go be a be a guy who sells a whole lot of jerseys in the NFL. So, also on that note, it's a really good receiver class this year. So if he does stay, he would be a a much higher pick. It looks like in the twenty twenty one. Theoretically, yeah. I mean, theoretically, yeah. Like you never know. But they, they, and this is a supremely talented receiver draft class. Yeah, you don't want to go up against those Alabama dudes. You're not going to be making a whole lot of money. Uh, Last thing that I want to talk about, and this is a total surprise for Matt, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this because we're going to do it somewhere else, is that uh, Penn State basketball is 8-2. Oh, they, yeah. yeah. They took now down, we're talking. Took down Maryland last night. Again. I was really scared what you were going to talk about because <laughs> it's not on our seat, and I'm like, I don't know where we're going. Yeah, a game that I was unable to watch. So, Matt, what I want you to do is tell me, because I didn't watch the Ohio State game either, I want you to tell me, what went wrong in the Ohio State game and why Penn State lost by 32 points in that one and they were able to turn around and take down a very, very, very good Maryland team at home three days later? Okay. I didn't get to watch much of the Ohio State game, but um, basically 
what happened? I'll give you I'll give you the Sparks notes version that I got. So this is like the double Spark notes. Uh, Ohio State's really good. Lamar Stevens got called for a non a bunch of nonsense fouls and then dribbled the ball too hard and uh, the ref got mad and teed him up and then he fouled out and then from there it all went downhill. The score was closer than it seems, but also Ohio State is the number one team by pretty much every metric and will be in the polls on Monday. So not great, but you'll get another shot at them at home, which I think is very intriguing. Um, and also Ohio State does not miss from three. I wrote that game preview and they just do not miss from three, apparently, which is terrifying. So that's what went wrong against Ohio State. Uh, what re- what went right against Maryland is that Penn State is the most annoying team in the country and they just are going to force you to throw 50,000 turnovers a game. Uh, Isaiah Brockington rules. Uh, a guy like that off the bench is great. Uh, Lamar Stevens and Mike Watkins both didn't have the best scoring outings, but they, they just played such fantastic defense and got such great contributions from pretty much six guys scoring-wise, and then the rest of the team just really held their own on the defensive end and really became super annoying. So, hey, 8-2, and two, rank Penn State basketball. Rank Penn State basketball? I mean, in my time watching them, like, <laughs> was it you or Nick who sent the tweet from blog about how this year is different? Um, I sent the tweet from blog about how I watched Tony Carr get drafted from Mad Max. That was my, <laughs> that was my hoops conversation. It was, it was, a, I think it was a Monday night and I was there for the summer and they had $3 watermelon margaritas. And I was like the only person paying attention to like the big screen they had out there. And I'm like, Hey, Tony Carr. And the people I was with had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> so that was my contribution to that conversation. Uh, well, uh, I think it was Nick. Yeah. Well, it's. Like it's a tweet about how every year Penn State basketball fans this say this team is this year's team is different, and when they get oh that was Nick okay yeah oh, I, I think I was yeah I was seeing knives out when that one guy said and I just like come back and I look at my phone and I go oh I yeah so, oh god it's so good like it is a very tired like music uh, film thing uh, just kind of the who done it thing and they managed to do it in a way that's really really fun and entertaining and yeah you should go see it but yeah. This year's team, like, it has what I think is, like, the platonic ideal of a Penn State basketball team, which is they have a big ma- they have a big man who can kind of protect the rim, let the guards on the perimeter play really tight, really aggressive defense, jump passing lanes, do that sort of thing, and know that they're going to be safe behind them. I, Lamar's even uh, pretty good at protecting the rim if need be. Uh, then to the other side of the ball, they just have a bunch of guys who attack, attack, attack. Like the, the one thing that I want, I want to see more shooting out of them. Uh, 201st nationally and three-point field goal percentage. But that'll go up. Dread, dread, right. a little bit. I was going to say he'll find, his, he'll find his groove. That's the thing. Uh, Miles Dread has made the exact same number of threes as Myron Jones, despite taking 18 more of them. So yeah, Jones has been great. Myron Jones, Jones is been, awesome. I mean, Razier Bolton. You hate to see that transfer, but that opened up a really great window for Myron Jones, and he has been. Awesome. I think he was, was he the highest rated recruit for Penn State in that class? He no, might have he been. Is, he He's is. He's showing it. No. He is awesome. He is, uh, if you're going by 24-7, not a uh, composite rating, just 24-7's rating, he is the highest rated recruit in Penn State history. He was one spot higher. What? He was, grain, maybe a grain of salt there, he was one spot higher than Tony Carr was, but he's a, he's a hell of a basketball, he's a, just dynamic, he, a lot of the... He's so fearless. Right, he made... There were times last year where he looked like the moment was just way, way, way too big for him, and he was still trying to figure things out, but he just looks a lot more in control in what I've watched this year. I I, I love their guard play. Uh, 
there I remember after the 2013 Penn State Pitt game, uh, Penn State lost. Uh, that was the year they had Tim Frazier and uh, DJ Newbill in the backcourt, and Jamie Dixon said after the game that if you have good guards, you have a chance. Penn State legitimately has one, two, three, five guards who can contribute positively. Curtis Jones, great addition for a grad transfer. Playing, he, playing, playing pretty well. You'd never want to rely too much on a grad transfer, but he's able to fill in the gaps in a way that uh, y- you know other grad transfers just aren't always able to. Like it's th- there is something special this year. It seems like even beyond us and you know our kind of tongue in chief ranked Penn State basketball thing because we have no. It's going to happen on Monday. I, I'm convinced it's going to happen if they beat Alabama on Saturday. Oh, it's going to happen. Hope so, but. All that stuff, again, somewhat tongue-in-cheek because there's nothing we can do about it, but just seeing the narrative around Penn State basketball from like national guys who cover the sport, it just seems different this year. It seems like there's a legitimate optimism and hype around Penn State basketball uh, that is just outside of you know us and the Onward States and the Daily Collegians of the world. So I, I, I don't know. It's exciting. Exciting times. There is a chance that Penn State... you know, They win their next three games. They're 11-2 going into the Iowa game at the Palestra. And then they're their Big Ten slate, once they hop back into it, Palestra against Iowa at Rutgers, uh, home against Wisconsin at Who is 5-5 five five right now, Wisconsin? Not, yeah. not, not a usual Wisconsin basketball team. Yeah, so there's a chance that this Penn State team, 8-2, and 9-10, if they can get to 15-2 and two heading into I mean, with Ohio State coming to town on January 18th, that, that's going to be a dangerous one. I mean, the schedule is a little bit tougher after that, but... Penn State's never really had a chance to pad its stats, so hopefully they're able to get that uh, get that all taken care of. Any final uh, Penn State basketball thoughts uh, outside outside of the fact that if I really wish Mike uh, Watkins wasn't going to be twenty five uh, by the time the NBA draft rolls around, because that guy, I don't think he'd get drafted, but I think at the bare minimum he'd get a summer league invite out of that. Um, I have nothing to add, but I will tell a story. Um... My parents were up for a Penn State game one time, and Mike Watkins and Shep Garner walked by, and my roommate uh, just yelled Mike's name and threw him a ball, and it was a horrible ball, and Mike just went up and snagged it with one hand, and it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and then uh, then we gave him hoagies, and then they went on their merry way. God, my, uh, shout out to Mike Watkins and shout out to Shep Garner. Uh, without, you know, without Shep, without DJ, and without Shep, this uh, era of Penn State basketball isn't happening. Like it's also also the loot like the years where they just weren't as fun weren't near wouldn't have been nearly as fun as they were oh yeah i mean that team that ended up winning the nit was just like just bomb dudes like i've said on a few occasions i don't know if i've ever said on the pod my hot take with that team is that they did not deserve to make the ncaa tournament they absolutely positively would have made the sweet 16 if they did so uh, with that, I, I, I mean, love that take. I well, love that take. The, th- the thing I fully believe about college basketball is that the recipe for success is having veteran guards and it's having guys who can shoot. And that year, Penn State was 33rd in the country in three point field goal per, uh, percentage. I think this Penn State team, uh, it's probably, I think it ends up being a tourney team. Uh, obviously, blind optimism, but I think the fact that they're not particularly good at shooting. Might put a bit of a ceiling on them. Uh, I hope it doesn't, and I hope that they're able to make one hell of a run and make this a year that we're never going to forget. Rank Penn State basketball. Rank Penn State basketball. Hire Uh, Joe Brady. Hire Joe Brady. All this stuff. 
Thank you. Detour, pull your name out of the draft. KJ's <laughs> no, no, coming no, back. no, 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 no. Stop, stop. Uh, don't listen to Matt on that stuff. Do whatever is best for you, uh, those around you, and your futures, young men. Uh, but to everyone else, Frank Penn State basketball and Joe Brady, blah, 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 all that. Uh, I think that's shirts. <laughs> yes, that's it for this edition of Roar Lions Radio. It was Matt just said make sure you are buying some blog shirts we still got them out there and we would love it if you'd go out and purchase a few of them make sure you keep reading and supporting the site head on to twitter facebook all that make sure you're following us liking us those sorts of things subscribe to the podcast all of our various podcast platforms uh head on to spotify subscribe there head on to apple Podcasts, subscribe there leave us a five-star review all that and yeah i think that's it for this edition of the pod thank you one last time for listening for my co-host matt filipovitz i'm bill de filippo take care everyone